Welcome to First Time Through. New Eyes on Castle Rock. With Kim Payne. And Otto Mullins. Welcome back, Constant Listeners. This is Otto Mullins. And I'm Kim Payne. And this is First Time Through New Eyes on Castle Rock, our podcast diving into my first time through Stephen King's incredible epics, yarns, and novels, also known as books, just books. So we could just stick to books, and then I feel like <laughs> we probably would have been fine. We are in the second half of Eyes of the Dragon today. Man, I love this story. Yeah, me too. It's been really, really fantastic so far. I I was pretty sure you were going to like this one. Yeah, no, this is definitely... I felt very confident. It's up there. It, it's up there with the gunslinger with me for me. Um, you know, and I just, I started reading... Uh... Oh, no, I don't want to say that, actually. Take that out. I don't think, I don't want to tease any of this stuff for season two yet. But let's, uh, I feel like we should get into Eyes of the Dragon soon. Let's do it. Um, so, Eyes of the Dragon, Stephen King's uh, fairy tale masterpiece. Um, so, I just enjoyed the heck out of this. This is great. This was really fun. I really feel like, uh, just before we get into the recap and preface it, I think that this was like his first stab at like a history for the gunslinger. Like, a first, like, real big, like, drawn-out, like, detailed telling of Roland's history. And then it didn't feel exactly right, so he was like, okay, cool. Then I know that, like, I not that's not the story that I'm going to use. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? It absolutely makes sense. It Yeah, because it's definitely... It's definitely a touch point because... Flag um, is a carry through character. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but but I agree that it was, you know, maybe maybe not quite right, and so it's it's ju- it became just a touch point instead of an actual part of the series. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, no, and you can tell too because it's like it's just so similar. To what happened in the Gunslinger, yet so different at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it, it definitely lends itself to be uh, its own individual fairy tale and story. Yes, and I love the tone of it. It's you know it has its dark moments, but there's also this undercurrent of hope through the whole thing. Really love that. Yeah, and then. No, I don't know. You can kind of tell, too, that, like, it is uh, very much made to teach his daughter lessons, too. Like, there's a couple of, like, very obvious lessons and morals through it that you're like, oh, these are shoehorned in a little bit more blatantly than in a normal Stephen King novel. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's written for... Naomi and his good friend's son, Ben, which I thought was, you know, cute. Um, you know, that he gave Peter's best friend Ben's name. 
Um, yeah, it is cute. Um, all right, so let's get into this uh, the recap of the second half of Eyes of the Dragon. So, um, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so where we previously left off, uh, Roland, the current king, had been assassinated and killed, and Flag had, uh, you know, orchestrated a coup to allow Thomas to become the new king, and Peter was locked away in the needle for the rest of his life. As we rejoin into the story, um, in something I really didn't expect, uh, I'd say like 60% of the bulk of the rest of the story is just us hanging out with Peter in his prison cell, um, which was pretty cool. I really, really enjoyed that a lot. I thought it was a very different take on what I expected. Um, and so slowly, uh, Peter's going to tell, uh, is going to... It's not very. It's not a very well kept secret. It's pretty obvious what he's doing. Once you know, like he says it a couple of like the first time. In my opinion, I was like, "Oh, you're gonna make a rope, okay." But Peter uh, devises a plan to use his mother's dollhouse and the napkins that he makes a deal with the chief of uh, guard to bring to him every day with his meals. And he eventually uses those napkins to create a rope that he will use to escape from the needle since they didn't put any bars or a window on it or anything. Um, During all of this, uh, Thomas is kind of an absentee character. You just kind of hear about him through passing. Um, But he's being a terrible king, passing an 80% increase in taxes um kind of killing people left and right first treason and sedition and uh his to say the least he is definitely on the way to revolt from his people and uh dennis who is uh was originally peter's butler Dennis, who was originally Peter's butler, he has moved on to being Thomas's butler. And Thomas has gotten so guilt-ridden that he sleepswalk at night. And when he sleepswalk, he goes to the dragon's head where he originally saw Roland die. Now that Thomas does that when he's sleepwalking, Dennis, the ever-faithful servant, follows him in his sleep and discovers where he goes at night and hears him cry out, don't drink the wine, don't drink the wine. um, And he was able to put, you know zero plus one together and realized that flag must have been the one that used the incredibly rare and dangerous magical poison flown in from a very rare and magical place to kill the king uh there there's like two big logical leaps in this that just bother me and it's that one like how in the world are you gonna think peter's the one that has this poison and two how is this mock this mouse getting inside of a sealed wooden box those are my two biggest like problems with the entire plot, just because it kind of, it's, it's... Well, Flag did say that he had, he had had some of that poison, but it had gone missing. He said he had ordered it and it never arrived. No, no, I'm pretty sure he said that he had some and was going to run test on it and it went missing. See, no, I had read it as he had ordered some because he had, because he acts like he'd never seen it. In the trial, when they're going into this. But, okay, we'll get into that in just a second. Yeah. Um, so, uh, they, um, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Dennis discovers all of that, and he takes it to Pena. And Pena is the justice who originally was going to put Peter to death. 
Once Pena finds out all of this new information, he decides that he made the wrong decision, and he is going to go to the uh, rebels who are in... Uh, man. The rebels who are... Uh, they've fled north, essentially. And mm-hmm. as they fled north... Um, They've been chased by Flag, who knows that they're kind of uh, they're kind of the last hope for the kingdom. Essentially, um, he goes north to see them, and he sends Ben and this random new girl that's just now magically introduced, which was kind of dumb because the only reason she's introduced is to kind of prove that Ben and Peter, or that Peter and Ben aren't gay, and then also she's just introduced to have a dog, and like. Any character could have well, a dog. It didn't have no, to be her. he's introduced to be Naomi. I was really Naomi. hoping for these two young lovers. Like, Ben and Peter would have been a great little couple at the end of the book. And I was very disappointed that Stephen King went out of his way to introduce this random girl. So that way it couldn't happen. They end up coming into town, rescuing the prince, and escaping uh, uh, to the throne room. And in the throne room, Flag ends up chasing them into there. As he chases them into there, Thomas has been sitting on the throne the whole time. And he hits him with an arrow and fells the dangerous Flag. And he is no more. Thomas leaves the community. And Peter is uh, crowned king. And uh, the end of it is very much, uh, I have to wander alone for the rest of my life looking for Flag. And, uh, you know, it's, it is Thomas at that point. And they've spent the last, like, quarter of the book just talking about how he is, looks just like Roland. And now he's uh, going off to look for the Dark Man. So, you and know, it, it builds that connection to the Dark Tower mm-hmm. series there. That Naomi. Was un- yeah, unnecessary. You, you mean, I mean Naomi, the character he named after his daughter? I get it. I, I understand. <laughs> if you're going to name a character after your daughter, don't do it on page 300 out of 380 page novel. Do it on page two or three so I know the character exists. Yeah. Like, it was very poorly done. That's all. Um, and I get that it, it was his... I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't get that it was his daughter until you just said that. Uh, <laughs> so that, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Uh, also, though, you're just trying to marry Naomi and Peter off like this? Like No, Naomi and Ben. Naomi and Ben are the ones that get married. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah, because yeah. Ben and Peter should have been the ones that got married. But regardless. Uh, so that was the recap. Uh, you know, I'm really, I really enjoyed this book a lot. There was a couple of problems with it. But I think that it's like when I read through a Percy Jackson or a Harry Potter, you just kind of got to remember, like, it's not written for me to tear it apart in plots in every single sense. You know, it is... It is it, not, it's written to enjoy. Yeah, it is just it, it is just entertainment and themes and trying to teach your daughter that smoking is gross and to always use a napkin. Like that's definitely what this book is about. Those are the two main themes for me. <laughs> Number one, Naomi, do not smoke. It's disgusting. Every single time somebody in this book is described smoking, it is described as a vile, evil tube or a gross uh, smelling uh, like servant or something like that. And there's just, it is never a, they're just smoking a cigarette. It is always, they're imbibing on a dangerous, gross chemical that will kill them. <laughs> uh, and so that was a very serious one. 
And then also, yeah, use your napkin with every single meal because you never know when you're going to get locked away in prison one day and you're going to need to have your napkins. Um, so be clean. And other themes like, you know, love your family. They're the only people that will always be there for you. And uh, don't forget your friends where you came from and all those other things too. But mostly the napkin thing. Mm -hmm. I also get why it would have been called napkins. Right. Yeah, that made a lot of sense. Um, well, and and why the first, the very first printing of this was on linen napkins, yeah, instead of paper, yeah. Anyway, um, all right, so let's uh, jump into this uh, second half of this story. Um, so it, it just kind of comes in and it goes into the coronation, and the coronation is a couple of chapters and. Er, it's a couple of pages. I think it is a chapter or two because we get it from uh, Flag's point of view and we get it from Thomas's point of view. And Thomas, I don't, I don't know. Thomas is a very conflicting character, which is the very, very much the point of him. Um, it absolutely is. You know, he's a weak little boy in a terrible position with no good role models and no one that cares about him to support him or love him or help him. Um, so he's just kind of in a position where his only point is to be abused and used. So, of course, he's not going to be a kind, chipper, good person. He's literally, every moment of the day, like, having potions that control him shoved down his throat and, like, developed a drinking problem at the age of 13. Uh, Thomas is not doing okay, to say no, the absolute least. No, he is least. definitely not doing okay. And, and and it's by design. I mean, that is absolutely from the very beginning um, of his life, that is Flagg's plan, is to have him so confused and dependent on him that Flagg can orchestrate all of these horrible things. Right. Um, I also uh, just... Uh, the illustrations we didn't really talk about them a ton in the last episode um but throughout this one in particular um i had a art history uh, class once and it taught me about different medieval and uh holy uh renaissance uh paintings and stuff mm -hmm. like that uh and you can just tell that a lot of these drawings and illustrations are inspired by those medieval and Renaissance paintings, like just the different uh, body shapes in particular and the ways yes. that people are shaped. They look just like those old paintings that you'd see or old tapestries. Um, and it's really, really well done. It's just an extra layer of detail that helps like while you're reading the book. Um, sorry to just... Uh, Oof, no, I, I, those, I, yeah, I love, well, you turned the page and there was one of those and you get a, and, and you get an illustration. I will say the timing of the illustrations in my paperback copy is very bad. Um, it, they're almost all a, like two or three pages off to say the least. Oh, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to have to track you down on one of the hardback copies of this because in the hardback they're in the appropriate places. And when you, you know, turn the page talking about Thomas's coronation and you have the illustration of Peter looking down at the coronation. See, yeah, and then it has, it's talking about the coronation, but it doesn't talk about Peter looking down at the coronation for like three more pages. 
Mm-hmm. So it's just like, oh, okay. Um, and that's the only like real big thing problem with it. Um, but during the coronation, you know, we get into Thomas's brain for the like pretty much the last time in the book, really, uh, for quite a while. And we find out that he's not particularly happy with how the world has turned, but he is happy that everyone is cheering for him. So he's just finding these small little things that are hap- like to be happy about. And you do get this really uh, just kind of awful thought of, uh, they're cheering for me, Peter, not you. Haha, <laughs> they're cheering mm-hmm. for me. The whole point of this, though, is that Thomas isn't doing great. He's got uh, no support coming in uh, right. from anywhere. No um, positive support. Yeah, He's got no. Flag feeding him real bad information. Yeah, saying that, well, we got to tax people 80% because if we don't tax them 80%, we're never going to get what they actually owe us from everything that they hide from us. Right. Which is just such a, you know, it, it's a it's a basic philosophy of the world, uh, kind of how Flag looks at the world. And he's like, every person is going to lie to you and hide stuff from you. So you need to tell them that you need more from that so you can counteract their lies. Uh and then, you know, it makes sense. I mean, it seems like uh, Stephen King has a way of his characters being scared of the thing that they are the worst about as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, of course, Randy's going to be scared of people lying to him because he's lying to everyone at all times. Right. Right. Uh, and then from there, it pops into Peter. And we hang out with Peter for probably, uh, I don't know. A good majority of this book, except uh, we pop into Dennis and uh, Ben and Naomi at points. Right. Yeah, I mean, because this is really Peter's story, we're going to get most everything from his point of view. But it's important, you know, if we are only getting it from his point of view, we're looking at two rooms at the top of a tower. Uh, So it's important that we need to know what's going on with his, his friends, his his supporters outside of this the people who know him and believe in him um and uh so when it comes in um we get the first week of peter the first like two or three weeks of peter being in prison are pretty dope they're pretty awesome he does a Mm -hmm. it's really cool um you know and uh i have a bunch of sticky notes in it too because it's very uh it's literally the beginning of the gunslinger in some ways. Um, it is him being put into a different and difficult situation and fasting and like finding his mind and getting his like world correct. And then mm-hmm. finally coming to a location where he can like accomplish the next like goal. Um, right. And I think that what was so interesting to me, and I have a sticky note here, um, you know, we get into this first week of Peter's uh, imprisonment and like one of the biggest things that he talks about over and over again is fasting and how he's fasting so that way he can be inspired uh, and uh, clear his mind and uh, everything. And uh, Roland was fasting, too, in The Gunslinger at one point, um, and it gave him a clearer head and the ability to think better. Um and then, you know, you think, uh, and this was just, I started thinking about um, just in general, these ideas of fasting and breathing and all of this. And it makes me really think about how inspired all of this is by like Hindi and Indian culture. 
Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think that, well, and, and fasting to gain clarity is something that has been done for centuries. Uh-huh. And, yep. and the fact that, you know, the 16-year-old kid knows that that's what he needs to do. I mean, when I was 16... If I'd have been in this situation, I'd have been like, mm, and I'd probably thrown myself out the window. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know if I would have been particularly like, I can overcome this. I can do this either. Right. Right. So. Um, but at the end of the week, Peter does decide, like, yeah, I'm going to escape prison and prove everyone that uh, Flag murdered my dad. And, you know, it points out, too, it's not because... Peter wants to be free by any means. It's because he sees a crime that's been committed and he wants to right it. He can't allow that to just exist in the world. Right. Um, it's not, It's not. I want to clear my name. It's I want to take flag down. Yeah, 100%. I mean, in doing so, he will clear his name, but his primary goal is to get rid of flag. And then because he comes up, uh, and then he has dinner, and he comes up with... Uh, um, his idea to uh, make l- ropes out of napkins mm-hmm. that night, and he comes up with a plan. He, you know, he's going to need the dollhouse, and he's going to need napkins at every meal to get it. Um, so he ends up calling in the watch leader to talk to him about getting those things, and we get uh, the only fight sequence in the book, really. Uh, but it's very good. I really wish yes, it is. I wish Stephen King wrote more fight sequences, dude. Like, I would love, like, uh, an actual, like, Tolkien-style, like, lots of sword fights and stuff. Uh, So, uh, if there's any of that kind of uh, book out there, like, we need to find that. Um, I'm sure, that's what I'm excited about, like, the Dark Tower, though, is because I know there's going to be more gunfights and stuff in that, which were really, those were really solid when he did those, too. Um... So Beeson comes in, and Beeson is the chief warder, is what he's called in his position. He comes in, and he, uh, to he's been doing this job for like twenty years now, right? And he right. is—he's not scared of of no kids. He's not scared of prisoners, especially. He is in charge here, and he's got this little bar. Uh, it's like a metal rod that's like two or three inches long, and it's like uh, for me, it reminded me of. Uh, uh, I, was, I used to watch like uh, a roll of quarters. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it reminded yep. me of: putting a roll of quarters in your fist and punching somebody with it. Um, and so it, that's what he does: he has this little bar he puts in his hand to like weigh it down, so his punches hit heavier. And um, he uh, comes in and he pulls out this bar and he's like trying to like beat Peter up, and Peter's like, "LOL, no." And Peter's been you know training and boxing and all this stuff for so long, and. He dodges to the side, punches him in the back a couple of times, and then picks up the bar that he drops and just continues to just destroy him. It was awesome. Yes, it is. It was so good. But when we were doing the first episode, you uh, were like, oh, he ate the dragon's heart. That's really important, blah, 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 blah. And now that I've finished the story, I know it's not, like, directly important, but there's a lot of stuff that's inferred about why eating that dragon heart was important. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, like, and this is the one that gets me, and it made me think of the uh, coming of the white, like we were talking about in The Stand and in uh, the Gunslinger and Dark Tower series and everything, that, like, it's that, 
it is definitely a Stephen King. Uh, I don't know archetype theme trope at this point. Mm-hmm. I'd go trope honestly. It's in so many of his novels, uh, but also it could just be an overarching energy that he finds in all of his books and i feel like it's an energy that we could find in real life too yes um it this passage though when it's talking about peter after he finally um beats the chief warder and like he's sitting on there he says uh he looks up at him and says no it was the look in peter's eyes that had so terrified him it is the look of a king gods protect me it is the face of a king his fury blazes almost with the heat of the sun um and so you get that like immediate like allusion to the the fire and the heat of just mm-hmm. his presence and then that heat and everything only comes after he's been put into like this really stressful tenuous situation um and i think it just really showed how and he's in the prison cell too so it shows how he is in power. He is the rightful king. He should be the one you're listening to, no matter what his circumstances are. Right. And he... Knows he has that. the heart. He knows that. And he's not arrogant about it. He's not, I'm the king, so you have to listen to me. He is... He has the heart of a dragon. He wakes up. Uh, the chief warder who fell unconscious after uh, his encounter with Peter wakes up in his cell and they end up doing business um, and Peter needs him to get his mother's dollhouse and he wants to make sure that there is a nice royal linen napkin with every meal and it doesn't have the royal have to have the royal symbol on it or anything but um, he wants one with every single meal Mm-hmm. You know, because that that uh, lesson that his mom taught him stuck with him. And even though he's locked up, he is still the rightful king, and he has a plan. Um, do you want to talk about uh, him writing to Pena and everything? Yeah, so the way he gets this done, you know, he... Uh, he understands that there's a certain amount of tr- commerce that has to go on. I mean, he's pretty worldly for a 16-year-old. So um, he writes to Pena and says, you know, I I need your help. Can you please do these things for me? And, um, you know, and pay for it. Because, oh, by the way, I'm also broke. He's like, I'm in prison, so I have no money. So can you pay for these things that I need for my escape, please? Right. And, (laughs) you know, um, which is pretty presumptuous. But he's, but he asks it in such a way. He's like, uh, you know, I'm going to ask this gently and understand that it is not... um, something that you absolutely have to do for me and please help me but also I didn't murder my father and like the way he says that he didn't murder his father at the end is one of the biggest things too because it's just very 
It's at the end of the letter, and he's not like, I was here on this day doing this task, which proves that I could not possibly have proven my, murdered my father because of such and such. It just says, I did not kill my father. And that's right. it. And and I in Peter's mind, you know, like, that's all you need. Like Exactly. He is the prince. He is the king. He has done nothing but be truthful and honest and just his whole life. He is literally the embodiment of, like, you know. The uh, white the white and he sees that in himself too and he's just like why why are you choosing to not believe me what have i done that like makes you think that um and then after he gets all of these things and stuff too um during all of this we get these little moments during all of this we get these little moments where peter's like who who could have had this poison who who could have done this and it takes him all of literally what maybe like one sentence to go Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Flag. Flag. Right. Duh. Exactly. Yeah, I don't even I mean I don't even know that it's a legitimate question in his head. I think from the instant that he is taken back into his suite of rooms and and all of those things are on the desk, he knows that Flag has set him up. Yeah, definitely, especially the box. I think that's the one that, like, for sure sets it off. Yes, because he knows that he lost that box when he was a little, little kid. And, you know, that's something that they establish about Peter is he's not ever negligent. You know, he takes care of his things. He's a responsible young man. And so the fact that this box has gone missing long enough ago that he had forgotten that he even had it you know, that's that's not a typical Peter trait. Yeah, it says a lot about the situation itself. Mm-hmm. Well, we find out, too. Pena approves this request, and the way that he's going to approve it is by having uh, <clears throat> Peter's old friend Ben run around and deliver messages and money and stuff for everybody so that way all of these things can happen. So uh, he goes and he gets Ben from his parents' house. And there's a really a good couple of chapters that kind of puts into perspective uh, just the common person's point of view almost. Yes. You know, it, it shows you like, yeah, uh, everything is cool. Everything is great. However, uh, the moment that like your son gets called for by the new king because he was best friends with the old king that or the old prince that killed the new king, you kind of immediately are just like, well, my son's gone forever. I'm not getting him back. Right. Um, and uh, it, it was just, it was a very striking passage. And it gave me, um, there's one section in it too um, that said, uh, and, you know, a lot of this for me, once we put it into context that Stephen King wrote this uh, with his daughter in mind and that he wanted her uh, if I were to write a novel for someone in my life, I would want them to, one, like, it, I would want it to be their favorite story in the entire world. Like, yes. that would be my goal. And then, two, um, I would want it to, like, make them feel good whenever they felt bad. And th- three, I would want to have some real good, like, w- one-liners and, like, zingers and, like, things for them to remember. What made me think of all of those things is there's this section here, and it's uh, Ben uh, Ben's father, Andrew, 
thinking about uh, his son, and he says, uh, "He." Uh, but when Andrew felt that young strength embracing him, he could almost believe it. But he thought his son had not learned fear yet. He had not learned how cruel the world could be. And, like, just reading that in this little kid's book, like, themed novel, uh, it really, it just hit me that, like, that's something Steve is saying to his daughter. And he was like, hey, just, like, don't forget, people can really be awful sometimes. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with you. It's just other people being terrible. Yeah. Um, and so uh, he ends up going and uh, doing all the tasks and everything. And, you know, Ben is just top-notch kid. Just good memory, smart, uh, responsible, respectful. Uh, just a good thing all around. Um. And uh, it's kind of very foreshadowing in a little bit. Yes, uh, yeah. You know, it, it's showing uh, just Ben and Andrew and his family are kind of ostracized now. They're kind of pushed down. They're kind of uh, extra uh, extra outsiders, I guess you could say, um, because of his relationship with Peter. Right, right, yeah. I mean, they they had had kind of a good... Andrew had said that their family had always been unlucky, but then when Ben became friends with, you know, Peter, things had started to kind of go right for them for a while, but it was short-lived because now their son was best friends with, you know, Peter. Um, So, you know, they talk about how Ben took cows to the market and came home beat up. just because of his association so you know and the fact that ben stood up for his friend speaks again about his character you know he took the beating because he believes in his friend i uh have here too i did a lot of sticky notes when i was reading through this one um the uh one of the things that i wanted to point out too uh so from here until i'd say I don't know, probably for a good, like, 60 pages of this now is going to be us hanging out with Peter as he learns the, like, ins and outs of creating his rope and as he practices with it and he uh, tries a stress test on it and he remembers the time that he learned about, like, what stress tension was. And um, it's it's mostly inside of his prison cell. Um, right. And there's this one very small chapter, chapter 66. It's a paragraph long. And it is just some classic foreboding Steve. Um, And it is just an entire chapter that talks about Dennis going to get these napkins. And when he goes to get these napkins, they are in a giant storeroom that has just piles and piles of napkins. And there's something special about that storeroom. And if Peter had ever thought for just a, a couple of hours about that storeroom and the, these napkins, um, Steve says uh, he might have been able to escape three years sooner. Um, and right, but at the same at the same time, he wouldn't have had any reason to know about this room. That that's what I wanted to talk about too. Is he? 
Steve goes out of his way to point out that, like, oh, if only he knew about these napkins and the history of these napkins, he could have escaped three years later, earlier. Ha 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 ha. And it's like, Steve, why are you pointing that out? You're the one that made it so he didn't know these things. Right. You know what I mean? It's like this chapter, it's like, yeah, it's foreboding. And obviously. Well, and the other thing is, is he didn't point it out, but... Peter lived in the castle, and he was a young boy in the castle, and young boys explore. And if he'd have found this room in his, you know, playing hide-and-seek with his friends or whatever, it would have been a different, even if it had, even if he didn't tell us about it. Right, exactly. Um, and it's just, uh, it's just an unnecessary a uh, little uh, foreboding moment for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, but he's he's the king of that. He does a yeah. lot of that. <laughs> he wants it to just seem... Uh, and I think that that's probably, like, part of writing this fairy tale is, like, where do I build the suspense? What do I make right. extra? And, of course, I think one of the coolest things is it's, you know, it's about these napkins that ends up being so, like, interesting and, like, a, such a critical plot device. Um, mm-hmm. So it is cool. Um so as we're going through, uh, Peter's learning all these, so we end up hitting into the very first dream corner. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we need some music for dream corner. <laughs> I know, right? I actually, the amount of dreams in the first uh, section of this book, right? We talked, we, we didn't even get a dream corner in the first uh, well, episode. Well, we, we got, we didn't in the first episode, but in the, you know what? We missed one. Did oh. we? We did, dang it, in chapter 49, way back at the very beginning of this section, um, Thomas wakes up. He says, uh, why do you stare at me? His father shrieked in his dream. He killed me, and I suppose you couldn't stop that, but how could you see your brother in prison for it? Um, Thomas is dreaming about the night that he saw flag poison his father and that's not the only time he's gonna have that dream either because no. i have that marked later on too yeah i have I'm like and that's the thing like uh i got what is it one two three four, i got i got eight sticky notes right here of different <laughs> dreams throughout the rest of this book um so we'll just do them now and cover all of them kind of because some of them won't make much sense but this one um two things about this first dream that hits us in page 71. Um, this is Peter's dream, and he is dreaming of his father. And two things of information that we really learn that are critical to the plot of the novel. Uh, well, one thing, actually, that's critical when, to the plot of the novel. In chapter 71. You said page 71. Uh, I want our listeners to be chapter 71. Page, yeah, 224 in my book. My bad, chapter 71. Um, and... Uh, he says, Dennis will know where the sleepwalker goes. Uh, and this is really fun because it's actively a hundred pages before uh, even the audience gets that reveal of when mm-hmm. that is. Um, so it's a real good prophecy that he builds. Second thing I noticed that made me really interested that I'm like, hmm, I wonder if we'll see this again. There's a, a certain name. Um, this man's name was Curran. And I may tell you of him in another story. Um, the fact that he went to the Church of the Great Gods the very next day and embraced his religion again and eventually became a priest. Um, I'm just curious if we'll hear from that Kieran character again. Um, 
there's a lot of like little one-off characters that the narrator says, but that's a story for another time. Mm-hmm. That I am curious if it is something that we're going to see, or if that's a character that matters somewhere else, or if that is just his way of not having to talk about that character anymore gracefully. Right. Um, but that's the big thing we get from this dream, is that Dennis will know where the sleepwalker goes. Um, and Shadowing. Yeah, to say the least. And like as the first time reading through it, too, real good moment, too, because like, you immediately are like, oh, yeah, Dennis, what is Dennis doing? And then mm-hmm. I made the logical assumption, like, okay, he's obviously butlering for Thomas now. Right, because he was in, you know, he was the king's butler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brandon, yeah. Brandon and Dennis were the king's butler, and so it would be logical that they would become Thomas's butler. Yeah, so if you really sat there after reading like that dream, you could probably piece together like he's talking about Thomas. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that is what makes it a good sense. That is that is good. That's just what makes it good, you know. Yes, absolutely. It's, I you know because it's, it's not a simple story. It's an it is a. It is an easy concept, but it is not written in a simple way, and it makes you think about it. Or yeah. it's the the context is there for you to think about it and put it all together, but you don't have to. He gives us enough of the clues that we can figure it out, and it's fun to figure it out, but it's also right. just as fun to just popcorn read it and enjoy it. Yes, absolutely. Um, so... Uh, um, we get into now um, a really important, uh, probably the most, I would say it's probably the most important event that happens to Peter while he's in the needle. It, it absolutely is, because this is the point where Peter has all of his suspicions confirmed. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, now, what? now it's this is the confirmation. It's not just feelings anymore. Yeah, this is. I knew I was right. Uh, Flag's been behind this the whole time, and he has uh, been building his rope now. And he's uh, got you know, I think it's like three feet of rope, and he realizes he can't really keep this three hundred foot rope that he's trying to build underneath his bed. So he's starting mm-hmm. to look for a place to hide it, and he finds a loose stone, pulls it back, and inside of it is a locket of uh levin valera is his name valera's uh, murdered wife eleanor uh and we find out that flag murdered eleanor and blamed uh levin valera and he ended up in the uh needle just like peter it is almost exactly the same situation just uh Mm -hmm. different murdery and uh it names you know here's one more one more like thing that bothered me a little bit is in the beginning of the book, it goes to all, point out all of the different ways that he changed his name. Right. When he was here in all those different times. Why did he have the same name this time 400 years ago? But, um, sorry, go ahead. Well, because it was 400 years ago. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. And that's Randy. <laughs> He's just dumb. He's like, oh, it's four. And the, I'll just, and it's, it's been long enough. They won't remember me. No, no one's going to remember it. And he's just so arrogant. And he just doesn't think about any of the consequences of his actions. And so, yes. yeah. 
I and like that was where I wanted to get with that too because I just like laughing at Randy. I like laughing yeah, at him so badly because you know. well he fails at the end of this book too and it's all his fault. He had the opportunity to like win. To like right. make it go his way, and instead he's just like, "No, I'll let you climb down the tower carefully. Don't worry, buddy. You'll be okay." Yes, because uh, you know, because uh, he's uh, so uh, arrogant and dumb. He uh, is. Uh, so, um, I do think too, though. Um, I don't think that Randy can see the future per se. I think he can get when okay. Well, and we'll go okay. We're in the dream corner. So we'll get into Randy's crystal ball here in a few minutes. Um, But after Peter finds that locket, he has another dream. And this one is of Levin Valera coming out into his world and uh, just asking him to avenge him. Mm -hmm. While he listens to these uh, uh, boot stomps coming from behind him. I love the fact that Randy Flagg is like... Boot, heel clicks like that's just yes. that's one of randy's things in every yes. iteration is like the sound of his footsteps yes the 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 heel clicks walking away into the west in the stand the the heel clicks and and later on the heel sparks in this oof love that love the imagery there it's really good uh and it, it is it, i love this if nothing else because it builds the mythos of flag even more you know every time that you see him and now like when i see him in the stand if i ever read that again i'm going to think about the tower and i'm going to think about eyes of the dragon when i am going to see him in the drawing of the three or if i'm going to see him in drawing of the three i mean of course i'm going to or else why would it be a dark tower novel um i'm going to think of like Eyes of the Dragon, and I'm going to think of Peter and Thomas and all the more people that he's done dirty now and how badly I want this guy got. Um, right. And I think that that's one of the fun things about it, too, is, you know, we're building these emotional connections for these characters that aren't even in this book. And that is one of the things I love about the Stephen King universe is the common threads that go through so many things so that it's all not all a lot of it's so interconnected and i just i love that so well i just want to keep going through the dreams right so now that uh we're randy wakes up and has a dream with an intense heat over his eye and he's Mm -hmm. just kind of like very curious about it he doesn't understand it uh well and that's the point too is like i think that that's why i kind of want to cover most of them right now is because pena has another dream and it is him standing in the Capitol, just covered in the blood. Um, and he's seeing Delane fall, and he's seeing blood rising everywhere and staining the fields. And he's just getting these premonitions of revolt so mm-hmm. soon and so early. Um, we get another one, and this is a dream Peter's having. And we I mean, find and Pe- Pena's dream leads him to retire. Yeah, he ends up just quitting the job completely. Uh, and then... Uh, Peter's dream, we find out that Ben and uh, Naomi, a character that still hasn't been introduced but will eventually one day be introduced to end up being super pivotal and important, and if she wasn't there, the whole book would fall apart and die. Mm-hmm. Um, they all have the same dream, and it's of Flag looking over what seems to be like candlelight down at them and just staring at them, and they don't understand it, and they can't like figure out where it comes from. Um, right. And then... Randy Flagg has that dream about his eye that he's not sure what it means. Right. Um, 
And those are like, like I said, there's so many dreams in this one, and we'll pop into them in a little bit more uh, detail when we get to them. But uh, dreams in this novel are used to tell the characters what they are most subconsciously scared of, and they don't even realize it. Yes, I mean, he he really, I think he uses dreams well in this to. Um, move the plot forward without having to uh, do things in a, a super obvious way. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how to say that. That's not what I. Well, but it's, I think it's, it doesn't have to be blatant, straightforward. Yes, yes, because you know I think he's trying to show that all of the characters have the the knowledge that they need in their subconscious mind. Exactly. They just have to, they just have to. Listen. They have to listen. Yeah, they have to listen. They have to let it out. They have to get it out there and understand it. And, and you know, of course, Peter has all the time in the world to, to think about it and analyze it, but the other characters do not because the other characters are going on with their normal lives. Absolutely. Um, and I think that that uh, says a lot about um, it, I think that uh, the way that the dreams work in this as well um, just kind of says a lot about how um, he wanted Naomi to like read books and like look at things and like mm-hmm. recognize that like oh like if you pay attention like I don't know I feel like it's something the- that you can like teach how to read well with this as well I think so and I think that it's important to also note that, you know, she was in early high school here, and this would have been a point that learning to analyze what you're reading would have been really important. Right. Um, and and I, uh, that's the dream corner. I don't really have, like, there, there, that's, like, our analysis is of the analyses, is analysis size, and analysis. <laughs> This is us talking about stuff. Uh, And I think that now uh, it looks like it's a good time for us to take a break and talk about what we got coming up, right? Let's talk about it. Bum, 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 bum. I like uh, that one song a lot. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well. It's really good. I do. It's fabulous. Uh, what we have, um, you know, just this is going to be a nice little, uh, quick, a short one. I feel because um, we're not going to talk about anything past the end of season one that we have coming out. Right. Oh my goodness, we're I almost know. done with our first season. Holy moly! <laughs> uh, also, I'm pretty sure. No, this will be episode 26, but uh, our bookmark, the one that we put out next week on the fifth, August fifth, that'll be our 25th episode. Wow. Right? Yeah, isn't that How awesome? How did we get here? Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's really exciting. Quarter of 100, uh, well, slowly I mean, but and surely. It, and it's worked out to be about, it averages out, even though it's been a little inconsistent, averages out to be an episode every other week. And that's not horrible. Well, yeah, no, honestly, like, we're doing okay. We're getting there. Um, and honestly, it's all just because of our listeners and you guys. So thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for your support. 
Um, and and thanks for paying the bills for us while things were a little slower and a, a little slower on the podcast front and a little crazier on the life front. We appreciate you. Check out our Patreon. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, please check out our Patreon. Yeah, it's great. Um, we're getting more stuff going over there, too. Um, hopefully we're going to get more stuff. Uh, we are. Uh, um more stuff beyond watching the stand season one. Uh, that's the goal soon. Uh, I feel like we should do, um, like read like short stories from like the magazines and stuff. Like those yeah, I little, actually like, downloaded the, the episode or the, uh, episode edition. I don't know. The, um, Esquire magazine story that he wrote last October. I downloaded it today so that I can check that out. That's pretty cool. So, but yeah. Anyway. Check um, out our Patreon. Follow us on Facebook. Twitter. And uh, just keep checking back here for uh, all of our stuff. Uh, we have uh, coming out next week, Bookmark Episode 2. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, our first novels, the first Stephen King novels and why. Um, any news that we have that's coming out with Stephen King? I know Kim had found out a little bit of news about Chapel Wait, um, so mm-hmm. that'll be there for you next week. Um, and anything else that we have to share with you for those bookmarks? Uh, I like them a lot. We got a, a lot of feedback, positive feedback too, which was great. Yep. And then we're gonna wrap up season one with the final season of different season, uh, different seasons. We're going to read The Breathing Method. And actually, I think both of us have finished it now, so I'm really looking forward to, to talking mm. about your impressions of that. Cause well, we can I also... Knew, Go ahead. I knew it was a good story, but it had been a while since I read it. And when I finished it again, I was like, yeah, that one was really good. <laughs> it was really good. I liked it a lot. Um, and also, we can rate uh, different seasons as a whole now, too. Yes. Since we've finished that novel, um, which is pretty exciting. Um, thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoyed Others of the Dragon 1. Um, we're actually recording this one before that episode comes out uh, because we're like on top of it now and trying to be ahead of the game. Except um, for on Patreon. Yeah, it's out pa- on Patreon. Yeah, oh, oh, it is out on Patreon. I accidentally I put it out early on Patreon. I think I'm honestly just going to put Patreon episodes out as soon as I get them done on uh, just so that way, you know, if it feels as soon as it is for you guys, too. Um, uh, just a quick, you know, thank you to all of our patrons. Uh, you guys are making it really possible for us to keep doing this. Susan, Jake, Don, Brad, Ronnie. Uh, Paula. Paula, thank you. Um, <laughs> other than that, uh, be on the lookout. Season 2 is going to start in August. Um, September. Season 2 is going to start in September. Season two is going to start in September, and uh, we're looking to do a lot of extra, like, really cool, fun stuff, and we're really excited that you're all here with us. Um, if you're interested in any kind of, like, uh, uh, you know, you want a keychain or a mug or a t-shirt or anything like that, just contact us on Facebook, and we can do any kind of custom, first time through, new eyes on Castle Rock merchandise that you'd like. Um, we're working on and- setting up something static, but right now that's what we have. Yep, there'll be a store on there soon. And it's going to be pretty cool. Kim has been making some really incredible stuff. 
And, uh, you know, this is just my own shameless plug personally, um, but I'm getting back into Twitch. Uh, I have a Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash Heracross TV. Um, and, uh, you know, it's pretty fun. I play a lot of single player games uh, so I can focus on talking with people that are there in the chat. And uh, I make a lot of uh, Pokemon videos as well. Just kind of what I'm into, and I wanted to make sure that it's something that I enjoy. Um, if you have anything that you'd like us to tell the world about, or anything that you would like us to announce here on First Time Through, New Eyes at Castle Rock, and contest us on Facebook or First Time Through Podcast at gmail.com, and we'd be happy to talk to you about anything you'd like for us to read. Uh, Kim, anything else you got? You want to plug anything? Uh, that's no i don't have anything new going on right now <laughs> uh oh um and uh, you know we say this i think we've said this probably fourteen thousand weeks in a row um go buy the bridge by joseph leaguers oh yes go buy uh, the bridge incredible so book um, download it on audible apple books wherever you get your books fantastic read it it's just great if i and like you know if you truly uh want to read it you just can't it is something that you can't afford to like get it right now let me know i will send you uh the free link on the youtube uh if it's still available for the audiobook uh and it's incredible it is worth listening to it's one of the best young adult novels i've ever read before or check your local library library uh also library is your friend good job libraries (laughs) Um, and that's it. That's all we got for you this week. We hope you're enjoying this episode. It is, uh, been, it was a good novel to read much better. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I know you guys all are very disappointed in my dislike for the body, but, uh, it's there, especially after reading the breathing method. Breathing method was so much better. Um, but I digress. Let's, uh, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks here. Yeah, let's let's finish up Eyes of the Dragon here. And uh, see, you know, uh, why? Whose eyes? Or no, that's not gonna work. Just let's just get back into the podcast. <laughs>so we're getting back into this and Dennis is uh, going to be kind of our main character for a second Dennis is hanging out one day butler in with his dad and then his dad just uh, he's not feeling great so he goes home and then that day his dad dies and the last thing his dad says to him is son there's going to come a time when you can do something for your master and you must do it to the best of your abilities and Dennis uh, you know this character doesn't make much sense to me because I have nothing as a family that like I, we care about. You know what I mean? Like there's no like family secret or family recipe or like family like thing to care about. Well, and I think that what we're supposed to know about Dennis is that his family has been butlers for the king and the king's family for generations. That I think that's really what we need to know about Dennis and, and Andrew. Um, and that Andrew, I, I think on his deathbed, Andrew is finally feels safe telling Dennis that in his roundabout sort of way that he doesn't believe that Peter did what Peter's been accused of. 
Yeah, definitely. I, and I think that that's kind of been the thing the whole time is I think that Brandon always felt that way, but he knew that it was his duty as a royal butler to do things the correct way. Mm-hmm. Not Andrew, Brandon, yes, you're right. Um, and, uh, yeah, Andrew <laughs> is uh, Ben's dad. Yes. Andrew's dad. Um, yeah. So uh, he ends up, his father dies, and he is taking care of Thomas. Thomas has gotten to the point in his life where he is uncomfortable being alone uh, to the point where he will just command Dennis to just sit in his room with him until he falls asleep. Um, and I, yeah, this boy is, he's dumb for, dude. Like, I feel right. so I mean, terrible for this kid. And he's only 15 now because Peter has been in the tower for four years. So poor Thomas is only 15. He's already a horrible alcoholic and terrified of being alone because he's had nightmares and, you know. Well, he's still having the same nightmare about how Flag killed his father, too. He's still he's- having that nightmare and... You know, he knows, I think that he knows in his heart that what he's doing is not not good for his kingdom, but he doesn't know how to stop it. Yeah, 100%. And, um, you know, it's he. I think that what he's feeling, and maybe I'm reading way more into this, but I don't think so, is that he's just out of control. And by making Dennis stay with him, He's exerting what little bit of control he has over at least one person. Yeah, I don't think he's been in control since the moment he woke up and was told he was king. Yes, absolutely and not. That It was made very clear um, that he's just trying his best, honestly. Um, so from there, uh, he is staying in his room one night, and Thomas gets up suddenly while he's, and he's sleepwalking. And he ends up walking down that secret passage and going to behind the eyes of Niner, the dragon that was sitting in Roland's study, or Roland's sitting room, which, by the way, has been completely abandoned and no one goes into anymore. Right. Um, Which is just, I think it's a very interesting thing. Uh, And it makes sense, too. You know, that's where they think that he was poisoned at. It's got some negative juju, some bad energy around it. Right. Absolutely um, does. So he ends... Go ahead. And so, you know, and and Thomas doesn't have good memories of that room. So he doesn't want to go there, even outside of what he saw through the dragon's eyes. Yep. And then when you factor that in, he he doesn't have good memories of that because he saw his dad at his worst in that room. And so he uh, is sleepwalking and he goes to look through the eyes and he he just screams out, uh, don't drink the wine, don't drink the wine. And... uh, you know, it kind of dawns, uh, or no, and then he screams, "Twas flag, twas flag," um, mm-hmm. which is ex- it's eerily the exact same wording that was in the note that was in the needle, right? Um, which is really like it's just a some fun parallelism that Steve is throwing in there for us to show us the way that it's happening again. You know, and he talks about how evil is cyclical. Evil is cyclical. Sometimes it doesn't yes. have good eyesight and it doesn't see you, but it will awaken and it will come after you. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a foreboding message that he's given us throughout the entire novel. 
what I really love is the next thing here. So he does that and it says 50 miles away, rolled into five blankets against the bitter cold and roaring wind. Flag cried out, cried out in his sleep at the precise moment that Dennis followed the king into the secret passageway. Just like in the stand. And there's a lot of moments now that we're about to get into the denouement of, uh, that are very similar to the stand for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, in, in particular, uh, we'll get to it, but there's in particular one moment where we kind of see the rest of the story from Randy's eyes. And yes. it made me think of the entire chapter in the stand where we watched the unfolding of Larry and uh, Glenn from Randy's eyes. Yes, absolutely, uh, it does. Oh, it was it was a so it was good. it was really good. Um, so uh, we're five years in. Dennis discovers this about Thomas. Peter's rope is probably about two hundred something feet long. It's almost there. He needs like six more months to get it done. Dennis takes this new information that he has to Pena. Pena has retired and moved all like 10, 20 miles north of the entire city just because of the like racking guilt he feels about putting the king in prison, essentially, and how he knows he got it wrong, but he just couldn't prove it. Um, and Dennis comes and he gives him the exact catalyst that he's been waiting for his whole life, pretty much. Um, you know, the, the proof that like you were right in like your gut feeling, you did the, you made the wrong choice. You imprisoned right. this young child because he cried when you told him his father died. And, uh, now you like need to do something about it. If you want to be the person you say you are. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I guess that hearing this after, you know, five years, there's, there's just this devastation and resignation that I've made this mistake, but I have to make it right. And it's like five years of uh, just him thinking about what could have changed and while simultaneously uh, having those dreams that we were mentioning before of how he's going to be the one responsible for the bloody revolution. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the just the combining features of those two things, he and Dennis showing up, it just all at the same time, it just sparks and he creates this plan and he says, uh, we're going to go north to the rebels and we're going to tell them all of this. And I'm going to send back the key. I don't know why. I just have this feeling, this intuition, and I've ignored my intuition for too long. I'm going to send back Ben. Uh, and, and he says, he's like, I don't know why. I just have this feeling that I'm going to. Um, mm -hmm. And this is about the point where it got to me, too, where... There's two things that are either happening in this novel, because this is not the first time that this has been the plot device, like, explained to it, right? One is that fate and, like, the way things have to be is inevitable in this story. And there's something about all of this that, like, you, this is just the way that it's got to be, and there's no explaining it. Uh, or the narrator is just actively telling this story to, like, a little kid or something, and doesn't want to explain these big concepts to this child. Um, and so it just ends up being in the, that area for me where he's just like, ah, you, you know, don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal. Um, <laughs> and I, I just think it's interesting uh, that for me, one of the things that I really enjoy about Steve's work is that he makes this narrator character a character. Yeah. And, you know, like, the, the, go ahead. I was going to say absolutely again. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
And I think that the narrator is a character. They need to be a character because you have to, the story has to be told from a point of view and the narrator has an opinion as well. I do wish that we knew who it was. That's one of the things that we never really ever find out in Steve's book. Uh, you know, some of them we find out like it's the character at the end writing it or whatever. And like right. this one, we don't find out anything. No. Which is okay, I guess. Um, uh, so, they uh, and he says to Dennis, he's like, Dennis, I need you to go to the castle and help Peter. I know he has a plan. Five years ago, he asked me for these things, and he hasn't escaped yet, so I imagine he's going to be trying to escape soon. And I'm going to go north, and I'm going to send Ben south. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dennis uh, kind of becomes... Uh, he goes, he goes like, full Tom Cullen mode and just becomes, like, a secret little badass the whole time. Right. Uh, well, and, and he's terrified, but he does it anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's, like, that's where... I think that one of the things that Steve does really well is he shows that he shows that that's how that's what true strength is. Yes, that's as, that's what heroism is. That's what being courageous is is being scared and doing it anyway. If there's one like moral of the movie of it, it is doing things in the face of things that make you scared. You mm-hmm. know, like knowing yes. that like you have to overcome this fear so that way you can do this thing. Uh, and I think that that is obviously immoral in most of his novels is just fear is only a, a state of mind that you're allowing yourself to be in. And so Dennis ends up going south back towards the castle. And it's a real uh, it's a it's a it is it's a Tolkien-esque uh, traveling back, you know, and I think that it is <laughs> any of these moments where like these characters are traveling long distances now. It's just going to be so obvious that it's him like remembering when he liked Tolkien so much. Uh, yeah. Which is cute, and it's great. And so, you know, he eventually ventures back to the castle, and he leaves a note on a nap- uh, folded up in a napkin for Peter, um, so that way Peter can read it. At the same time, Ben is starting to travel south from the north, and he ends up traveling along with this girl named Naomi, who is just finally well, introduced. Well, the the reason that Naomi turns up is because... Pena goes to her father, who he he knows is sympathetic to the to Peter. rebels, to Peter, ultimately, and yeah. and so she takes Pena and his butler to the exiles, the the rebels, um, and so and that's that's where she comes in. But yeah, I mean, well, they've got a sled dog too, so you know it helps them yes. travel faster. Um, yeah, and then. Um, she ends up coming with Ben, uh, taking the sled dog so that way Ben can travel faster. Um, and like she, um, she's she's obviously shoehorned in. She's not necessary. Ben could have done this just as easily on his own, and I think that you know it's not that implausible at all. Um, I it's think it's not, but it does. You know, it does help um, convey the speed with which this all happens the urgency because this all the ur- yeah the urgency that's the word that's but it happens word. in a two days span now you know right. like it goes from the story well, taking it's, it's a week it's it's a week because dennis pins the napkin or the uh note 
in a napkin that is several days in. Yeah, so I guess it's like a week total because it's right. like two days out when he pins the napkin because he waits in the thing for two days, he says. Mm-hmm. Um, so he ends up pinning that note to the napkin and he ends up hiding in that giant napkin room that we had talked about beforehand. Um, and as he's waiting, uh, we bounce back into Peter's point of view and we find out that Peter is very close to uh, being at his point of escape. He only needs, like, another, like, 10 feet on his rope. Um, and he's going to uh, go for it. Uh, but then uh, this giant storm is happening. Uh, and it just seems like it's the perfect chance for him to do it. And, you know, everybody keeps saying, you know, there's this feeling of it's got to happen tonight. Um, right. One thing that's been convenient for all of this to be taking place is that Randy himself is uh in the north right now looking for all of the rebels right um and it's interesting and it's never talked about but the rebels are able to avoid his magic somehow uh they just are never he's never able to find them and he ends up having to spend almost two weeks in the north just sleeping on the ground being cold uh and he's not able to find these rebels and i think it's just so interesting that like how Well, and I think that this is a spot where the the magic is implied. You know, Flag has this dark magic, and I think that the magic of the white is kind of implied here because it's protecting these people who are trying to do the right thing. Right. And, like, it's interesting. You know, it's that same protection that you see in the stand, from everybody for everybody in Boulder just a little bit of protection from like their location well and it's also the protection that you see when uh, Tom is going back east yeah from Vegas in the stand absolutely you're right that's like the perfect point of, of uh, similarity mm-hmm. you know it's almost like the whites equal magic of being dim yes, uh, yes. which is cool Um so they end up coming back, and they, uh, uh, you know, this dog that they introduce, his name is Frisky, and mm-hmm. two for two, Steve introduces a dog character that turns out to be the de- best character in the story. She's awesome. Yeah, I it's so Frisky. good. Um, it's really fun. I just really enjoy whenever he writes from the dog's point of view, and then he's just like, he does, the dogs don't know names, so the dog's just like, tall man and girl. And it's mm-hmm. not girl, it's the girl. That's his yes. girl. And That's so his it's, girl. It's cute. And it's really, really, like, it's just very wholesome every single time, the way that he imagines dogs. Um, and Well, and, and they're just a couple of days behind Dennis. But, you know, Frisky loves Dennis's smell, so she stays on it real well. And they, I mean, they're, they are able to follow Dennis right back into the castle and right into the napkin room and they uh almost literally stumble into him in a Mm -hmm. pile of napkins um and so now that the three of them are reconvened the night right before uh right i think it's it seemed to me that it was literally hours before uh uh the they had all been reconnected peter gets that note that dennis had left him 
he opens the note and it says everything that Dennis basically says, like, if there's anything I can do to help with your escape attempt, drop a note and I'll go get it and I'll let you know um, mm-hmm. what I can do. And so Peter drops a note and he says, I'm going to try and climb down. Uh, I could still, it could still break and I could still die, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so they go, uh, uh, he drops the note. He goes, Dennis goes and gets it and he ends up, uh, they end up coming up with a plan to uh, help Peter's escape. And of um, course they can't communicate that plan to Peter. So Peter is just like, well, I hope he got my note. I hope they have a plan. Yeah. He's like, I hope it works. And um, this is kind of the point to where the narrator hit something on the head for me that I'd been thinking about for quite a while. And that is something called stress tension where when you have a rope, if it's a two foot rope, it can hold a lot more weight than a 12 foot rope because of the amount of pressure on each inch of that rope is Mm -hmm. going to be much greater than uh the amount of tension for a smaller rope right so this child only tested it you know the eight feet from his ceiling he's about to drop 300 feet on this rope that's so small um into a stone courtyard on like while scaling down smooth marble He's, yeah, so when the rope breaks, he's going to die. And it's something that, like, in the back of my head, I'm like, man, this is a good plan. Like, are you going to make, like, three of these strands and then braid them all together to make, like, a real rope, though? Um, And the narrator even just straight up goes, yeah, guys, he was not, that rope's going to break. It's done for. Um, Right. And, you know, because he understood the concept overall, but he didn't really understand Peter didn't really understand the greater equation right or the individual uh uh, intricacies of what he was attempting right and but at the same time it's it's kind of that i'm either gonna die here doing nothing or i'm gonna die down there and at least have tried right and that's like his major thing and so he sends out this note and everything and he's uh thinking like okay i'm gonna get started i'm gonna do this and just as he has that thought, it bounces to Randy's point of view. Mm-hmm. And Randy wakes up and his parrots are screaming, escape, murder, escape. And they realize, uh, he realizes Peter's going to escape. So he jumps up and he grabs his executioner's blade um, that has, you know, and it's cool. It's a good use of Chekhov's gun here. Um, you know, he pointed out the executioner's blade the first time that he was introduced made a point mm-hmm. to talk about how he's familiarized with it and then eventually he pulls it off the wall to use it um you know it's just those plot devices that you see everywhere and the way that steve uses them so nonchalantly in a way that's not very obvious is really it's solid for me i always enjoy well it. and and this is the night that he woke up he says he woke up with that dream fresh so he goes to his viewing like a crystal that he can see things in um, his magic crystal. And he says, show me. And and the crystal shows him. But Flag is so... I don't know if it's because he is caught up in the moment and he wants the crystal to show him. Like, he doesn't want to have to think about it. But the crystal does show him. Because the crystal, when he looks at it, um, the very first thing the crystal shows him is the lesson with the 
napkins, the lesson that Sasha taught Peter with the napkins. And then the next thing that the crystal shows him is Peter playing with the dollhouse. And he doesn't make the connection. In his mm -hmm. frustration and anger, he doesn't make the connection. I do think it's interesting, too, though. Like, I think that this kind of shows me that while Randy can't see the future, I think he can divine hints. He can divine a sense of the future. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of shown and proven to me because he's trying to make sure that he never plays with this dollhouse. Almost like a sixth sense, but not necessarily future sight. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, and I think he demonstrates that a few times with what he tries to like make sure happens. Or like mm -hmm. when he can kind of sense that like someone's going to be more trouble than they're worth. And he's right about Peter. Peter wins, in fact. Oh, yeah. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> so... He wakes up, he see, He looks into his crystal ball, and then he looks for uh, the three, uh, Ben and Dennis and all of them too, and we get that realization that this is where they've been having that dream from. This is where they've been having the uh, Randy looking down at them with the candlelight. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and, they, and, you know, I don't think that they get to see, know that, but we as the audience figure that out. Right. And that's, you know, that's where their f sense of foreboding comes from with Flag. And seeing it all come together now, you know, scary stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So Flag grabs all of his acts and everything, and he just takes off towards the tower. Um, Peter is just getting ready to go for his escape, and he kind of uh, is starting to get hesitant, and he's getting a little bit of cold feet. Mm -hmm. um, Randy bursts into the tower, and uh, he, at first it's locked, and he's banging on the door for a while, and when he starts banging on the door, that's when Peter is like, oh, God, we have to, I have to go. I have to go, regardless... It's this is, of if, this is if he's moment. ready or not. Yep. I'm either I'm either gonna die on the the ground. I'm either gonna escape. I'm gonna die on the ground. But I am not gonna stand around here and wait for flag. <laughs> Absolutely not. And uh, so he ties. Uh, he breaks his bed down and he takes one of the posts. He ties his rope to his post and he wedges it between the uh, window and he starts to descend down. Um, as he does, Randy bursts open the door, and the, this guy... At, uh, at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, at the very bottom of the 300 steps. Uh, this guy comes, and he opens the door, and then Randy, without saying a word, just cuts him in half. He's just like, the next time someone knocks on your door, maybe you go answer it. And then he starts running up the stairs. Um, and this was probably the best written section in the story, in my opinion, Um because from this point, uh, it's going to flash between, uh, of all people, actually, it's going to flash between Peter, Randy, Thomas, and then it's um, Dennis and crew. Mm -hmm. uh, which is fun because it, all of a sudden Thomas is going to be important. Um, so and, and this, this is one of those parts, you know, you're saying it's well written. It makes my hands sweat. Because oh, it's, just, it's suspenseful, it's so, yeah. It's, the suspense is so good for these last... There's a couple of counting issues for me uh, mm -hmm. when he's counting stairs that just like really ruin like some of the timing of it if I was paying too much attention. But that's not like neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. So um, when we get to Thomas's, we'll just recap his story real quick so we know where we leave him. Thomas 
ends up sleepwalking. He wakes up and uh, sleepwalks into where Niner's head is. And he wakes up this time, though. And he's unsure where he is. And he doesn't know what's going on. And he sees that he's in Niner's head. And he gets this just urge, this feeling, to go into the sitting room. Um, So he goes into the sitting room. And he uh, sits down uh, in his old father's old chair, and he's looking up at all the animals, and he sees the bow and the arrow, foe hammer, that he used to kill the dragon. Mm-hmm. And he picks it up, and the arrow is still hot, and he's just, like, uh, kind of blown away, because, you know, there's an old wives' tale that talks about how uh, anything that used to kill a dragon keeps some of the residual heat. Um, just like, you know, I thought that was interesting, so, like, the dragon sand and everything, like makes me wonder a lot about that um and he kind of just falls asleep on the throne uh he just passes out there with the bow and arrow in hand and passes out uh and you know it's through all of this too is him having like a vision of uh roland yelling at the animals and remembering his father and he uh the narrator goes to great lengths to tell us that even though he's 15 years old, he looks like he's a 45-year-old man now. Mm-hmm. He he looks like the spitting image of Rollins at this point. And that's what... Right, and, and he says, you know, that he hopes his father's ghost would come because he could tell his father he was sorry. And it made me really realize that, like, that must have been what Flag's magic was doing to him. Was mm-hmm. making him, like, that dilapidated and falling that far from grace. Right. So we flash back to Peter. Peter is climbing down, and uh, he's climbing down, and as he's climbing down, there's this huge snowstorm, so it is just icy and cold, and his hands are numbing. As we and then we flash back to Randy, and Randy is starting to climb up the steps, and Steve starts counting the steps, and he's like 25, 75, 10, like whatever numbers. And then we flash to Dennis, and they're doing some mystery project, and they don't really tell us, and they're just gathering. They have this cart, and they pull the cart up to the edge of the. Uh, the needle and that's really all that we get to know and they're working really hard on something and then we flash back to peter and he's he's still coming down the thing and then we flash back to randy and then randy gets up to the room and randy comes to the window and he can immediately see what's going on and he looks down and he sees the rope is fraying and he this is where he gets himself guys this is where he's like yeah and he's like oh this kid's gonna kill himself i don't even have to worry about it and so he just puts his axe down and he taunts Peter. And Peter's just like, you know what? I hate you a lot. I'm going to not die. And so he just slowly continues to go down. And as he's going down, the rope snaps. It snaps. He falls. And then, boom, at the bottom, Dennis has put a million napkins. Yep. Cart um, full of napkins. And, like, it was just what i didn't realize like of all of the things you know i was thinking hey i was thinking like okay they're just gonna put a big card of hay at the bottom and he's gonna assassin's creed his way off the top of this tower and it's gonna be great but it's they bring a, almost a literally million a million napkins mm-hmm. is how many it tells us that they like uh made and they say like they all have different numbers so i'm gonna my different number is gonna be a million and right. they they get a million napkins out of the storeroom and they put it at the bottom of the tower and that's what peter ends up falling into and it cushions his fall and he's only falls like probably 50 60 feet instead of the full 300 right. um but you know he doesn't die and that is a major success because you know the napkin saved his life and that's why it was going to be called napkins guys mm-hmm. that's why uh, 
And uh, so the three of them uh, are very excited that he's uh, alive. And Peter just kind of uh, asks for the locket. And yeah, well, and when when after Peter falls, he immediately takes charge. He's like, yeah. I got this. We're going to do this. This is the things. Come on, let's go. He gets up and he's like, I've been thinking about this, guys. Don't worry. Uh, he gets the locket and they take off towards Roland's sitting room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Flag starts chasing down after them. Um, as they make it into the sitting room, uh, Flag catches up to them there and he locks the door behind them. And Peter whips out the locket and he accuses him of what's going on and everything. And, you know, I don't think Peter has a direct plan for why he wants to come here um except he does know that his father's weapon foe hammer is here and he knows that that's the most powerful weapon in the kingdom and that is probably the only thing that can be used to kill this like evil wizard i was gonna quote now peter thought as blood pounded in his temples i must try to slay another dragon a much greater one with the same arrow the arrow that really was the start of his existence right um so. yeah no there's a, a certain amount of uh, cyclical nature to him going for the bow mm-hmm. uh, and arrow and as he goes to the bow and arrow what does he discover but that it's not there right. and so he just has it is all of the panic that has he's been sub- pushing aside for five years is just all of it comes flooding back to him. And he's just like, oh, God, the arrow and the bow aren't here. What am I going to do? Um, and just as uh, he's, like, panicking, you know, uh, Flag has his final moment where he's like, just admit it, you killed my father. And he's like, all right, I did. I killed your father and your mother. And I did all this, and no one saw me. And I'm going to kill all of you, and no one's going to ever know. And then Thomas stands up and he is like oh but someone did see you magician and uh turns out like you know thomas is the true badass of the story um you know and i love that that thomas who has been you know abused and mistreated and neglected and and just he gets to be the hero here he gets to be well and then you know it says too just like uh in the beginning it says thomas had always been good at archery Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the only thing he was ever better at than uh, Peter. Yeah. And so he draws back and he lets go of the arrow. And where does it go? Through the locket that Peter is holding up, which is really cool. And so, you know, it gets that uh, the symbolic uh, nature of that locket and the vengeance that that locket uh, represented from mm-hmm. that time gone. Uh, it hits the locket and then it goes flying right into Flag's left eye where he'd been having that heat dream. He'd been dream. having that heat dream, yep. Yep, it's so good. Uh, he has that and then just like in the stand, instead of blood, black ichor comes out of him. Uh, you know, and just showing us that, like, you know, this is the same Flag. It is Legion. It is, you know, this isn't just a coincidence that it's this guy with the same name. Uh, and then he poofs and disappears. Uh, just like just like he always does just like he always do right when he's bested uh and uh from that point on it is not tolkienish uh it actually resolves itself very quickly yes Um, he does so within like a couple of chapters we just find out uh thomas is going to go on the hunt for flag and dennis is going to go with him peter has become king ben has married naomi and frisky the dog is still killing it and just being a good puppy 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it ends it in a way where it says specifically, uh, I have to go after the man in black, or I have to go over that man, uh, that dark man, uh, to the ends of this world. I'll never stop following him or something along those lines. Um, yeah. And it just directly mirrors the opening of Gunslinger 1. Yes. Um, which was great. And uh, I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, and it just kind of... It connected it all back to those themes of family overcoming through everything. And, you know, even though, like, Thomas and Peter are going their separate ways, they're still family. Um, Right. And I like that he specifically says, do they live happily ever after? No, but but they do okay. I feel like Thomas and Dennis, if, if this is a, like story of like a foregone era like okay it all kind of depends on eyes of the dragon right oh and i mean um that's the end of the story that's that's the end of the book that is then that was our first time through it was it's incredible it's a great book i really enjoyed it a lot um i uh i do feel though that depending on the severity of this book i can see uh thomas and dennis popping up somewhere else as they're on their journey now um, which would be pretty cool. Um, uh, I do, I mean, I just really feel like this is more connected to Roland's past than like we're letting it, than it, it's led to believe. Um, but also, you know, flag could just, this is, this could be the kingdom he comes to when he's not at Gilead mm-hmm. or it, right. it could be like, uh, just a, just, just ever so slightly a mere universe. That's just, things are just ever slightly changed. Well, and I think that, we've established even just in the two books well three books um between the stand and the gunslinger and eyes of the dragon that flag is not bound to one world absolutely yeah you know so maybe this is the world next door to gilead go then there are more worlds than these exactly um and, uh, you know, I think that that's what I really enjoyed about it is that building a flag. Um, the themes that are in this book, too. Like, you know, we talked about, like, that traditionalism and the neo-traditionalism and, uh, you know, how to buck against that system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is just illustrated so well that, you know, things can work really well and it's working well. But when you come to a new situation that is very obviously not something that's been addressed before, you have to look at it in a new way right well and you know what i just realized that we missed something that is actually kind of an important plot point um about where the napkins came from why is there this giant room full of napkins and that's part of the the history of delane is that um there was a queen whose name is escaping me at the moment who, Ratha. who had them made because she was putting everybody, Kyla the Good, there it is. Um, she was putting everybody in the kingdom to work doing something because the kingdom was in a depression and, and there wasn't enough work to go around. So she had napkins made. That's why there are these hundreds of thousands of napkins. 
and that's the foreboding thing that Steve's talking about in the middle of the book when he's like, if he would have just thought to ask about where these napkins come from, he could have sped up his work by three years. Because right. throughout the entire novel, he's only taking 10, 20, like, singular strands out of each napkin because he thinks that they get washed and reused. When right. in reality, because of this queen, there's literally tens of millions of napkins Right. Um, so they just use them once and throw them away, even though they're made out of this ridiculously expensive, beautiful linen. So if Peter would have just like, you know, broke down these napkins and used more of them, he would have done quicker and no one would have noticed uh, because nobody was checking these napkins. Because basically they were throwing them away when he got done with them. It's not like they they never really said what they did, but he what they weren't being reused. Right. And, you know, there's a couple of like little hints to uh be about the total quantity of the napkins because you find out that Pena hired a woman to take the royal crests off of the napkin every week. So it means every week she's taking 21 crests off these napkins, which means that there's enough napkins for her to be doing this every week for five years. Right. Um, and, you know, it's just uh, all of the clues that Steve wants you to see, they're all right there. It's just a matter of figuring them out and applying them yourself. Right. And, you know, it shows you that for all the things that Peter did right, he didn't notice that he wasn't getting the same napkins day after day either. Right. Yeah. Peter. And I think that that just shows like, you know, his I think that of all of the things for him to buy be naive about, it would be resources. He's never had a clear concept of how many things are or how much of a thing it takes to do something. He's never had to. He's been a prince his whole life. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, and so I think that that makes sense that that's the thing that he overlooks. Uh, I really, I, I, it was incredible. The denouement was fantastic. Uh, the suspense of Flag running up the tower to him escaping it is really, really sublime. Yeah, uh, he does such a good job of putting you there. You can hear it, you can feel it, you get all tense, and yeah, right. the, the suspense he builds there is so great. I did a little bit of research about this book, and just because I was curious if anybody, like, I feel like this would be a good uh, uh, limited time series, right? Like uh, Golden Compass is right now on HBO. It's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant limited time series. Oh, your kitty's in the room. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's uh, really good, and I think that uh, that's not that just a, a new little bit, Kim. Uh, okay, so I was thinking, you know, something that we've done unconsciously that I think that we got to just give it its own segment, its own little bit, is it's it's time for our production pitch. Um, <laughs> well, uh, and I was thinking this would be a really great limited time series, but let me, like, pitch you the changes real quick, right? Yes. Um we blatantly, super blatantly, it's a love triangle between Peter, Ben, and Naomi. And you introduce Naomi in the first episode, not at the end of the, the second season, like, because that's stupid. Naomi is important right away. And she's there, and, like, she's one of, like, Ben's friends, like, from childhood. And she's at the sack race, even. And then she's going to be, like, doing it with Ben. But then, surprise, the king's there, and he's got to do it with the prince now. And then they fall in love. And now, since childhood, they've just got this, like, unspoken, like, love triangle, right? Um, and... Uh, Thomas, we see a lot, uh, and you also you see Ben and Naomi's side, like them moving north as rebels, them being pressured by people in the town. Um, maybe they have like we add a little bit of stuff for them, but we see their side play out at the same way. Um, 
and then right right it wouldn't be hard that hard to add like things from their daily life to no not story. at all um and then uh uh basically the big thing of it though is it's three seasons the first season at the end of the first season is right when roland dies so it is it is the coming up it is learning the history it is learning a flag it is watching flag murder their mother and then mm-hmm. it is watching him frame peter and the very last scene of like season one is just Peter looking out the window of the needle, and it zooms out on Peter in prison forever as Thomas's coronation is happening below. Like it's that exact image that we were talking about, right? Yeah. Yes. Se- season two is uh, just the like him the trial, because like this is this I don't want the coronation to happen yet. I would want the trial. And him, uh, like, having to defend himself and flag doing all that stuff, because it's really interesting courtroom drama stuff. Well, and if we could do that kind of as a... We, we do have... I like the, the end of that, but then we go back, and his first memory in the second season is him thinking about all of the, the things that led up to where yeah. he is now. And that's part of, you know, part of the things that he's going through while he's fasting. Yeah, and then as he's fasting and denying a meal, every time he denies a meal, it can jump cut to another meal he had where he remembers uh, the morning of, like, the uh, mouse being found after his father was dead. And, you know, that, like, final, like, the murder assassination plot with Thomas and, like, everything happening in that final episode, you just make it super fast and it's a super whirlwind. So that way when you come back for the second season, you can break it down. And right, and then like one of the meals that he refuses during the fast, we get the story of, of the Sasha and the napkins. And one of them, we get the story of you know him. You know, we get to see him playing with the. Uh, I feel like those are house. even stories, though. I would put those stories right in the beginning of the first season too, just so that way he, you can re-reference them and right. show. But then like, he flashes back to them, right? <clears throat> yeah, and then uh, the third season. Um, would be um, so the end of the second season would be him writing the letter to Pena that says I've decided I want to live I did not kill my father um, and then uh, in it would also be him sending that letter out to Ben so you know it would be like that connecting of Ben and Peter who throughout the second season would be living separated lives they wouldn't be able to connect it but there is things that we could have Ben do we could have him come into town and like get like beat beat up up and stuff and and everything well and and we could see what Thomas's choices are doing to Ben's family Naomi's family to the people that were already connected to and we can see Pena you know making his you know retirement and those things there's a lot of no because of yeah no there's a you're right you totally can't there's a lot of like little flesh things that happen in that like Mm -hmm. and that's the thing is the second half of the second season that you know like that is only uh like a month or two so then you get into the third season the first half of the third season takes five years Right, and and it is a slow montage, and you watch all of these characters grow up. You watch them like slowly lose their homes when it comes to P- uh, Ben and Naomi. You watch Thomas slowly become an alcoholic. You watch Peter grow older and grow his beard out and uh, become more and more confident in what he's doing. Um, and then by the end of the third season, you know it happens exactly the way that it happens in the book. And mm-hmm. I think that's how you nail it: is you make sure that the ending is exactly the same as the book. Yes. Um, and that's my pitch. Uh, that, well, I guess that's our pitch. Yeah, uh, absolutely. 
That is our uh, production pitch. Uh, anybody that listens to this that's got any kind of money to produce a TV show, uh, let us know. We'll show run the hell out of it. Uh, and it'll be incredible because Kim and I are a great team. Um, and the last thing that we have to do today, Kim, is we just got to rate this. We uh, rate this. Oh this my epic gosh. yarn. Um, I have to go back to and uh, re-listen to all of our the Eyes of the Dragon has three categories that we are going to uh, decide its worthiness on. The writing, the overall style of the writing itself, the use of the words, the use of sentence structure, the use of literary devices and tropes, etc. Then there is also plot. Plot is going to be the actual story in, uh, itself and the characters. Are the characters good? Did we like them? Do we care about them? Um, and, you know, the plot, is it... Uh, pretty derivative and easy and silly uh is it what what is it you know um and then the last one is the category i'm most proud of it is called the it factor and that is the indescribable feeling of a book uh just that that it it is the it factor is that feeling that makes you stay awake until 2 a.m reading your favorite novel and does this book have that it does this book have that and is this the it factor for me also is would you tell your friends to read this yeah yeah, yeah. that's another good one that we use too yeah yeah, yeah. would yeah. you tell your friends about this one and for us it's uh is this a book for the overall lexicon of stephen king that you need to read to understand him as a writer and an author and as a an artist um so we'll just jump right in here uh writing kim what do you think in writing wise I think the writing in this is an eight. Um, I really love the detail. I I love the... I feel like. I feel like I'm there. I feel like I know these people. I feel like they're my friends. I feel like I want to know what happens next. I just want to say this now because I feel bad. I don't have all of our other ratings in front of me. So the biggest thing that worries me, right, is that I'm going to give this a rating and then it won't be equal to like what I've rated things in the past. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something I want to start being more aware of as we get going forward. I would say that this writing wise was on par. It's on par with most of different seasons. It's definitely on par with... Uh, Misery? No, I, I still think Gunslinger, Misery, and The Stand are all better written than this. Like, just okay. sentence structure, word-wise, and everything. And I gave all of those at least 8, 9, or 10, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think so. So I gotta, I'm gonna give Eyes of the Dragon a 7, because it's definitely better than Revival. It's on par with everything that we read in different seasons. Uh, it's definitely on par with Later. I, I think this, this story of, it, this is a better story to me than Later. But I think that's just because I like sword and shield stuff more than uh, private detective stuff. Yeah. Um, so you gave it an 8, and I'm going to give it yes. a 7. So that'll give us a 7.5 for that bad boy. Uh, and then plot. I'm going to give the plot a 6. It's not a new story, but I do love the characters, and I like the setting, and he, you know... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that's the point, though. You know, it is his take on an old thing. It is when, yes. 
you know, and he talks about when he blatantly is like, I'm going to try and do a Dracula or I'm going to try and do a monster story. Uh, I want to try these things. Um, Yeah, and there's nothing too particularly like uh, surprising or outstanding or something that makes it go like, oh my God, that's amazing. Um, So I I think, yeah, six is perfect. Yeah, there's, it's not a new story. There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. Um, It Factor. Oh, It Factor is a nine for me. This is one of my favorites. And, you know, this is one that I would recommend to literally anyone because it's not a scary book. Um, It's the first one that uh, Jocelyn read, and she doesn't like scary at all. But I was like, read this one. You'll like this one. Um, Anybody who is... I would recommend this even to like an eight or nine year old. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that's a, for me too, it is uh, the world building outside of uh, the Dark Tower series that he's doing. I think that's super cool. I love it so much. I love the idea of having all these other characters in similar situations and similar uh, ways. Um, I love the context of the story with mm-hmm. him. Uh, you know, writing it for his daughter and everything. I think it's really fantastic, really exceptional. Uh, and just, I loved the character of Peter a lot. I think that he was just such a good kid and he just had nothing but like uh, wholesomeness in him. And I really yeah. enjoyed reading about him because he wasn't trying to do, you know, a lot of people, you know, you feel like you have to make a good character, make them like flawed and deeply troubled and all this stuff. And it's like, no, like, I think that this really illustrated that you can do a good character without relying on the tropes of flaws and uh, trauma. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, obviously, like Thomas is that character that is relying on the tropes of trauma. And he does a good job, though, in not making him pathetic or uh, puny in any way. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, he does a good job of making him a product of his trauma, not making the trauma who he is. Yeah, 100%. So, um, it factor for me is a 9. Overall, that puts us at 22.5 out of 30 points, um, or 7.5, which is not too bad. Good job, Eyes of the Dragon. You're up there Definitely in the top five. I think we've only read eight or nine books now, but, you know, you're up there. Good job. Um, We have uh, one more story coming out this uh, season. It will be the final different season, Winter, The Breathing Method. That didn't make sense. Let me say that again. We have one more story coming out at the end of our first season, the final season, Winter, of different seasons. Um, And that story is called The Breathing Method. Uh, and it's phenomenal. It was particularly fantastic. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, you know, some of our listeners even said it was the scariest story that they've uh, read before. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to get, uh, to talk about it with all of you. And uh, other than that, anything else you want to say, Cam? Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for reading along. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been my first time through Eyes of the Dragon. And this has been our first time through our podcast. And this has been your first time through this episode. So we hope you enjoyed it. Kim, say bye. Oh, yes. (laughs) Thanks for hanging out with us. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Otto, Kim, that was incredibly interesting. Great job today. 
If you would like to support First Time Through, you can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, or send us an email at firsttimethroughpodcast at gmail.com. You can also become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash through to get exclusive early access, to get exclusive videos, and to become our exclusive friends. If that's interested to you, I'm interested. First Time Through, New Eyes on Castle Rock, is produced by Empty Theater Productions. It's created by Kim Payne and Otto Mullins. Editing by Otto Mullins. Music by Jason Rager. Art by Kurt Payne at Who Knew Art.